Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host, Travis Tyler, and joined with me today is Matthew Jacobs, and it's just us, the dynamic duo. The two, and then if you hear a little feet in the background, that is my two daughters are with us today as we were recording our next couple of episodes. So here is the discussion. We're continuing on in our tough questions section, and we're dealing with the question of staying with your church, a long-term commitment to staying. And uh, you got to ask yourself this question, are you committed to staying to your church? And so let's kind of just discuss some of the issues with that. I think recently I read that the average tenure in a church is around four years, maybe four and a half. That's gone up slightly. It was slightly under four when I first got in ministry in the beginning of the 2000s. But uh, let's, let's use, for the sake of discussion today, uh, Rainer breaks down the life cycle of a pastor, and he puts it in several phases. First phase is the honeymoon phase, and it's golden, right, Matthew? It's supposed to be, yes. It's supposed to be golden. This is the phase where you want to get whatever you need. So if you need a couch in your office, get yourself a couch. You need curtains in your office, get yourself some <laughs> curtains. If, if you need a new Mac, you better grab that Mac now because they love you so hard and you're loving them so hard and nothing's happened yet and you want to grab it while you can. And that's year zero to one. Now, some people don't get a very long honeymoon. Some people get a, a very long honeymoon, sometimes longer, but the next phase is inevitable. Now, the next phase is what's often called the Crisis, crisis phase. Yes. And it can only be delayed sometimes, but, you know, there's like a bank that, that the church has and the pastor has, and I'm going to call it the bank of disappointment. I'm not the one who come up with that, but uh, what we're talking about here is maybe there were expectations that were set in or before the honeymoon phase, uh, whether that was the church is going to pay my insurance and they haven't. Church members think, well, he, I told him about my sick grandma, he didn't go visit my sick grandma, so now I'm mad at him. And it all kind of comes to a head. And this usually is between years one to three. So um, it's about meeting expectations. What do you say, Matthew? Yeah, I, I think it's, it is. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. And it's kind of the, the idea, the principle, you know, if you do premarital counseling, um, going in and kind of articulating your expectations before marriage. Um, one example in a book I use, Save Your Marriage Before It Starts, is it talks about how, like, talking about, like, holidays. So, for example, Christmas, the, in the book, the, the wife's family, like, gets up at the dawn and does their presents, has this big breakfast, and they're all happy-go-lucky early in the morning, and the husband's family uh, gets up whenever you wake up, <laughs> and then you go eat breakfast. And so, the, the first year of marriage, they were real mad and upset with each other because he slept in, and they were already eating breakfast. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I think kind of carries over in the same picture of, of the marriage uh, with, with the pastor and the church is they have to, in the interview process, clearly articulate the expectations of what it is. So what does office hours look like? What does it look like when, you know, you have your kids with you while you're recording a podcast? What does it look like when you want to go on a family vacation. What does it look like to have a family night? So, so what are these expectations? Because if the church isn't used to someone having a family night a night where they're spending time with their family, then they're going to be frustrated when every Monday they call you and you're like, sorry, man, I'm with family. Yeah. Um, so it's clearly articulating your expectations in 
the front end, but even when you clearly articulate them, people are still going to be frustrated. Yeah, it's just not possible. You know, we had a we just came back from the TBC, and one of the things they pointed out is the church doesn't need another savior. They have a savior. They just need a servant. Uh, something else we want to bring out here is, you know, uh, the point that one guy made to me. He was a manager in a, in a business setting, and he had said, you know, Travis, what is quality? Quality is simply meeting expectations. And so the crisis that churches are plunged into uh, around this time period has to do with has the church met the pastor's dis, you know expectations has the pastor met the church's expectations usually there are places they both have and there are places they both have not yeah and so you know if you're a pastor and you're listening to this this morning you got to remember something too if you're in that year one to three and you're in that crisis and you're thinking about leaving got to remember now you know when you first came to this church there were some things you wanted to get done and, you know, you're, if you move, you're going to have to start that process over. You know, you're going to hit that crisis point again. Uh, he, he talks about the next one, which is realignment years three to five is the next phase for the life cycle of a pastor in a local church. And uh, this is going to be a time where we're going to be looking at mission, vision, and I think where the church really has to decide who do they want to follow. Yeah. You know, a lot of churches don't really want you to take them forward. Unfortunately, I wish I could say a lot of churches want to move forward. Uh, I would, I would have probably argue that a lot of churches want you to actually take them backwards, take them back into time to a place where they were happy and comfortable. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say it's true. That, that well, it's it's what's more familiar to them, right? And so, if if anything, I think there's some great articles written about it about this time last year on the world nostalgia and really just people that they remember what it was like when they were little. It was a good time in life, so church was a good time. Or when they first got married and they had their first child, they, they want to go back to remembering what life seemed easier and things felt more familiar to them. And so when we're looking at and we're revisioning, maybe we're refocusing on our mission, maybe our community looks different. And so now we've got to reach a different demographic of people than what we've reached in the past. And so the church has to... Uh, start looking at that vision, and the people are just like, I don't know about that. Like, let, let's, I, I kind of want to just go back and, and, like it was when I was little, let's sing our songs, sing from the red hymnal, and pastor preach us a sermon, yell at us a little bit about hell, and <laughs> let's just, we're just going to be happy. Let, let's yeah. just, well, what's what's wrong with how it used to be? Ooh. And uh, I, I think what it has to be is the church. Both of them have to have that decision that there's nothing wrong with how it used to be. But it's 2019, it's 2020, it's whatever year it is now, and we have to understand the culture has changed. And so when we're looking at revisioning, we're looking at remissioning, we have got to understand the culture has shifted, therefore we must shift, not not shift the, the word of God, not, not shift from what the mission of God is for us, but we need to learn to shift into what it is that God's calling us to with, with the people that we have around us today, um, just because the community has changed. And so I, I think for them, they have to just come into a realization, do we want to grow? Do we want to change? Do we want to fulfill the gospel in the community we live in or go back to how we used to do it? And so that, they have to make that decision. Are they, who are they following? Like you said, and are we going to follow the leadership of the pastor who we feel God has called here mm-hmm. to pastor us? Are we going to follow the leadership of the person we feel God's called us to lead us in the direction he feels God's calling us to? Yeah. Um, so so it, it's it's a both both end, but I think it's just them having to, to catch the vision of where it is God is leading 
their their staff, their pastors. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think that uh, it's important to note here as we're doing realignment, we can be talking about realignment of how we do outreach. Yeah. Uh, how we do uh, church government. It can be a realignment of um, how we, even the times that we meet. You know, I know that sounds Ooh. crazy that Ooh. that would cause fights, but it does. It causes fights. And uh, so it, it's just well, a, we we've got to meet at this time because if we meet any other time, the Methodists are going to meet us at the restaurant. Or I won't be able to get there and watch the Panthers play football. Yeah. Or, or we won't be able to go play golf. Or whatever the or is, because Sunday isn't a day for us to worship. It's, we've got to come do our obligation, and then we're going to go roll and do whatever else we want to do. Right. And, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know why 11 a.m. is a popular time on Sunday morning. Do you know why? Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not, I'm not the, the doctor like you are. Right. Um, I believe the reason that we have it at 11 o'clock is so that when people used to farm and have the animals they had to go feed, mm-hmm. the farmers were able to go out and milk the cows, feed the cattle, feed the chickens, pick up the eggs, all that, come in and head to church. I think 11 o'clock was the time we set because by then you could get all the stuff you need to farm-wise done in the morning. Basic maintenance, not like going out and belling hay and cutting corn, whatever, but just basic animal maintenance and then get into churches. I think that's why we have it at 11. You're correct. It's an agricultural holdover from Mm -hmm. about 100 years ago. Now, is there anything wrong with 11 o'clock a.m. for worship? No, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a good But, time. you know, a lot of people think that, you know, it's got to be 11 a.m. It's got to. They've done research recently, though, and found that 1030 is actually an optimal spot for worship. Oh. But anyhow. Uh, all right. Second thing here, the next phase, I guess actually this is the fourth part, not the second, is a, se- a section of growth. And this is a time period of growth. So after you have the honeymoon, after you have the crisis, after you have the realignment, Rainer says years 5 to 10, you're going to move into a phase of growth. Yes. The time that every pastor looks forward to and every church is happy during. Yeah. <laughs> For the and, most part. <laughs> and let me let me say this. But, you know, because this has happened. I've, I've not moved churches a lot, but I've moved churches four times, I think. I moved. My first pastor was in Bedford, Kentucky when I was in seminary. And there was only like eight people voted me in. Uh, and then I was in, I pastored in Southern Indiana and I pastored here at Grace and I, I moved churches in Southern Indiana one time. But when you first go to a church, there is a, uh, in that honeymoon period, there is a church hopper crowd that yeah. comes for a little while, but they don't hang out through the crisis period. No, We're not talking about growth with these people. We're talking about, well, really in Appalachia, if you're in an area like this, it's not transient. It's going to be slow, steady growth. Yeah. Slow, steady growth. So, like, you know, there's an attrition rate that every church has. And what I mean by that is people that leave the church. Now, there's there's basically two or three types of ways you leave a church. <laughs> One way you leave a church is in a casket. You die. Yes. And so, you know, they're not coming to church no more on Sunday morning. Another way you leave the church is you move. Like, you, there's a job you have to take in. Nashville or uh, Raleigh or wherever. Uh, another way that you leave church is you get mad and you leave. You get mad yep. at the pastor and you go. And so, you know, I was talking to a pastor the other day. He's been about the same tenure I have. He said, you know, we just kind of, we just took in five families and we lost three. You know, and it's all during this kind of period. It's sort of loss and gain. Wouldn't yep. you say that's right? Yeah, it would be. I, I know for, for our area where we're at in Appalachia, there's not really the, um, we've got a job and have to move. No. Um, it's more or less you die or you get mad about something and leave. Usually that's the uh, case. That, that, that's that's the, the two that would be more common in our context. I think the job somewhere else is probably going to be your uh, younger families, fresh out of college or yeah. college students. You know, they're going to be more apt to do that. 
And then he, I think this is funny, but year 10, he puts mystery. <laughs> I guess he just doesn't know. You know, and Ron talked to me about this. He was uh, my predecessor here at Grace, two pastors back. Pastor Chris was between us. But uh, he was here 18 years. And one of the things he said, I was most effective after year 10 at the church. And I think what happened is after year 10 is when you first come to a church, you lead from position. But as time goes on and you earn your stripes, you begin to lead from personhood because they begin to see you not as the guy that disappointed their pastor, but as their pa- as the, their preacher, but as their pastor. I've always wondered when people address me preacher versus pastor, if it's really a shift in their own heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Preacher is kind of like, you know, you were put there by the church or God, but pastor is something more dear and sincere. You yeah. Know? But you, you become their true pastor. So... Um, that is kind of the things involved. I think another reason he puts mystery after year 10 is... It's a great mystery. You just don't know what to do when you've been there 10 years. Yeah, he ran out of stuff to, to write. He's just like, oh, it's a mystery what to write after year 10. And a lot of pastors don't make it to year 10. Yeah. I mean, they don't. You know, I think four to seven is a common time people jump ship. Um, but another thing here about year 10 is I think vision cycles run in about 10 years. You know, after about 10 years... Uh, really, we should probably be doing this more often. We need to have vision reviews where we're sitting down and we're asking, where are we? Who's around us? Mm. How are we making an impact and lostness in this community? How can we make adjustments to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it, it's and the part of the thing is, I think it needs to be more often, is things shift so quickly. Mm. Um, especially, I, I think the world, not necessarily that the world is faster now, but I think we're seeing culture shift and change so rapidly that your vision might quickly become outdated in its application. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is you have a vision. We want to reach this type of family, this type of uh, demographic. We want to reach this, whatever it is you're trying to, to do outreach. And what ends up happening is you have a good vision. And like so for us in North Carolina, like we're going to try to reach this type of community. All of a sudden... Um, the bathroom bill hits. Mm-hmm. And now guys and girls can use whatever bathroom they identify at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so as the culture shifted in that way, the church then has to say, hold on, now we've got to deal with this issue um, that sometimes makes us lose focus of what we're doing ministry-wise. And so if, if something huge shifts in culture, your vision also sometimes has to shift as well. Yeah. You know, we may have to throw this one in the queue. Um recent shifts in culture and coming shifts in culture because that could be a whole episode. So write that down. Yeah, we'll yeah, do well, that. Not well, today, but we're and all with the election judging. cycle coming up in the next year, um, we have a fun conversation in SBC, SBC Life because yeah. they're, they're, I'll never forget being in Dallas and some of the issues that, that took place there and, and people going, well, you know, we we have a hard time reaching a certain certain groups of people in my city because they automatically assume Southern Baptist means Republican. Oh yeah, and so so yeah, that that, that could be an interesting one to, to hit on that. <laughs> Nick. We're let uh, the confusion of politics. We're we'll let the ones that aren't sure. here tonight take that one. Yeah, buddy, because <laughs> we're doing double duty here. So on to it. All right, uh, let's see. We've got here a couple questions I want to ask, and we, we don't, we're kind of running out of time here, and we'll try to cover this quickly here in about four or five minutes. Some questions to know if you really are going to stay. First one you need to ask, Pastor, particularly if you're trying to be a revitalization pastor in Appalachia, are you really committed to staying? Because mm. we've laid out for you what it's going to look like. You're going to face some hurdles, right? Yeah. Uh, are you mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually committed 
to stay at this church? Well, also, that's a great question to ask because um, with the culture being a little bit different to some degree than some other parts of the world, um, even, you know, where you live at. You know, today I was having a meeting with a youth pastor in Hendersonville, part of Appalachia, but it doesn't look like Appalachia yeah. because it's just Shifting. got so many people Shifting. that have moved. I mean, you've got people that live, in, live there that work in Greenville, people live there that work in Asheville. It's, it's just kind of a a mess. People from all over that, that wouldn't typically meet the the standard uh, qualifications of what Appalachia would be, but I, I think with, with that is you have to be committed in staying, knowing that things are going to be difficult, but if you're willing to stay, you become part of the family. And when you become part of the family, ministry starts together. So you, you have to have, know up front that though it might be easier to go back home, it will be. It'll be easier to go to be. people that I'm familiar with, to a culture that I'm familiar with. Am I committed to stay here and do the work God's called me to, or am I going to bail at the sign of first trouble? Yep. Uh, next question is this, and this is a big one, particularly if you found yourself in those crisis years, yeah. years one to three. Is there someone in this body that I need to reconcile with? Look, let's just let's just be honest here. Um, you have to lead in repentance. If you want, Pastor, particularly I'm talking to you right now, if you want to see repentance in your church, you have to be the first to take that step and say, I was wrong. I need forgiveness from God and from you. Please forgive me. Because the sheep will follow you in leadership and they will follow you in repentance. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're, if you're a pastor and you're slugging away, say, these people won't ever repent. Let me ask you a hard question. Have you ever said, I messed this up, church forgive me? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, you know, because it sounds counterintuitive to do that, but I think you build a lot of credibility when you do that you, with your flock. You do. Um, I actually, uh, during our crisis stage at our church, I actually got in front of the whole church on a Sunday morning and just asked them to forgive me for some of the hardness of heart I'd had towards some members, and as well as meeting one-on-one with some members. But because of, I, I believe it's the, the old adage, if you sin um, in front of somebody, you go to repent. If you, if you sin or do things unlovingly in front of the whole congregation, you need to repent in front of your whole congregation. Whatever, however the, the broadness of acknowledgement of your sin. And so I remember doing that to uh, my congregation uh, last, so I guess it's been a little bit, almost year and a half ago now maybe somewhere along those lines and I remember I had people come up to me that morning some of them I was like you have nothing to apologize for but then others coming up to me with tears in their eyes you know like I'm, I'm sorry for the way I, I felt and I, I think us setting that example and setting that standard um, goes a long ways to building credibility within the congregation because if they never see a pastor that's loving they never see a pastor that's forgiving never see a pastor that shows in repentance they're never going to know how to do that themselves to some extent. They won't know how to do it, and quite frankly, they won't trust you. I mean, yeah. would, would you, Pastor, would you trust somebody that never repented? No. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't do that. Well, I think everyone has to repent. Yep, that's right. We are, you know, when I was in Romania, they don't call Christians Christians there. They call them repenters. Hmm. And uh, I think that's a good illustration yep. for how we're supposed to live this life. So today, listen, uh, Pastor, church leaders listening to this today, you're probably, it's probably Monday. You may have taken a beating yesterday or maybe this morning. Uh, I would encourage you to hang in there a little longer. Uh, you may be asking, we've given this whole episode here. I'm just going to give you kind of my closing thought. How do you know when it's time to be released from a ministry? Like, how do you know when it's time to move on? Um, 
You got any thoughts on that? I have a thought I'm going to share, but you got any thoughts on that? How do you know when your time in the church is up? I, I think it's kind of a multiple thing. One, I, I think clearly God leads you somewhere else, mm-hmm. or, or is clearly telling you. But also, I think yeah. No, but some doors are open elevator shafts too. <laughs> some open doors are true. just elevator shafts. I, I think for me, the, the one church that I've left in ministry is I realized two things. Not only was God opening up a door for me to go learn under somebody because I was a Started pastoring at 19. Like a JV pastor? Well, I was a senior pastor at 19. <laughs> oh, senior pastor. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so I wasn't JV then. Uh, <laughs> so you you went back to JV. I went back to JV. This is not for me. Decent. No, but, but you know, I, I sat there, and I never really sat under somebody to learn ministry. You know, I, I started at 19, got saved at 18, started pastoring at 19, pastored church two years, and I realized I, I needed to sit under somebody and learn. Yeah. Um, so that was one. Number two was... My effectiveness, if I stayed in this church, though I had a good group of people that would have followed me wherever I was going, there was always turmoil because there was one individual that didn't matter what was going on. He was unhappy, and he was going to make everyone else unhappy. And so I realized, like, God has opened up this door for me, and I'm not able to be effective in this role of ministry anymore. And so I need to leave for the betterment of Christ's bride. I need to remove myself from this church. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to say. And I would also say this. I pastored one church. And uh, I think as a pastor, you're always thinking ahead mm-hmm. and seeing where the church can be six months, a year, two, three, five years down the road. And when I was pastoring this one church and my time was up, and I think this was kind of a Holy Spirit roadblock. I'm going to call it that for lack of a better word. Uh, Matthew, I could not see a future for the church. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see a future. Like at all. I couldn't see where there was opportunities. I couldn't see where we were going to be able to move past what we were in. And uh, I just couldn't see it. And I took time away and tried to see it, but I just, it was like a, it was just like a big hole of nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I knew at that point it was time for me to, to move on. All right. Speaking of moving on, that's enough time for this episode today. I hope this has been helpful for you on the Tough Question series. Are you going to love this flock and stick with us? Tune in with us next time. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.